Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 477. My name is Eric Nelson. With me today, I have my co-host, John White. Today's Thursday, May 15th, 2019. John, how are you doing? Doing really well across the Bay today, and it is uh, raining. You know, we, we, we talk about the color of the Bay today. I couldn't even see. It was just this, like, pebbly steel gray from all the, from all the percussive rain. I, I don't understand... We pay these taxes in California and, you know, the cost of living and, and it's raining. There's water coming from the sky. I do not understand what's going Wait, on. Wait, I think I was British in my previous life. I love this weather. Oh, man, this oh, is goodness. awesome. I can live this all day. If, if I wanted a place that rained all summer, I could move back east and pay about one-third the cost for a house. Right? That's what I'm saying. That's what you're saying. I get it. On the show today, we have Cloud Economics uh, with Bill Roth, Director of Marketing for Cloud Economics. So this should be fun. Bill's been on the podcast before. Bill, welcome to the studio. Always great to have you here. Thank you. Pleasure to be here with such an august company. Yes, it is fantastic. Hi, everybody out on Facebook and YouTube. It's nice to see everybody. We're in the studio. It's always fun when everybody's in a room together. And Bill, you're an old hand at this, so we should have a lot of fun. But before we get to the fun topic of cloud economics, we should talk a little bit about the news. And so I have a couple news items. Uh, One big news item today that we announced is we acquired Bitnami. Right, so uh, now we have Bitnami. Bitnami we use to provision applications. It's a multi-cloud uh, product. Again, here we go, another cloud product. We had Wavefront, now we have uh, another one, Bitnami. Allows you to deploy applications in the cloud. They bundle up applications. Very popular, I think they have like a, a, a large user base. Like I want to say millions of users that are. Uh, I'm actually a user myself. I, you know, it's very interesting. It fits right into the uh, the application uh, packaging, certainly, but I would say also the container space and the Kubernetes space. So right. I, I would imagine, I have no idea, but I would imagine it would slot into um, you know, some of the people moving over to, to cloud native and then some of the people under like maybe cloud services. Um, that it's, it's pretty cool stuff. They, they publish some you know, container images. They publish uh, Helm Docs for if you're uh, packaging up a product up into Kubernetes, and they have images uh, for applications that you can just kind of deploy, like one-click deploy an application directly to Amazon or to Google Cloud or to Azure. You know, so it's very very interesting business for for the for the audience. So and the uninitiated mm-hmm. like me. Like what is it really just a set of tools that exist in a development environment for packaging or how would you, I mean how would you describe it at an elemental level to someone who may like a like a virtual infrastructure admin who spends all their days maybe not a dev mm-hmm. but maybe they spend all their days and they love vmotion they're used to you know sort of spinning up they know their vrops they know how would you explain this to them I would say it's not it's it can be about tools but for me it's more about the end product so it's about pre uh, packaged applications for example, WordPress. This is uh-huh. the thing that I use mm. the most, right? So um, you can download all the bits for WordPress and compile it in, in a Linux box. Or you can take Bitnami's image, which they have pre-done for you, mm. and you can just say, oh, I want this deployed for $4 a month in GCP or for on the free tier of Amazon and EC2. So they already have these pre-built machine mm. images to do that. Or uh, a Docker image or you know, a Helm. Right, so like, however it is that you want to consume that, they have um, some way of doing it. Now, you know, it's not for every single application out there, but you know, mm-hmm. if you wanted a like a Node.js development environment or a MongoDB database, they have 
all of those things like prepackaged in a Docker image, you know, in a Helm, in and, and tested on the, on the cloud platform yeah, that you want to provision to. So oh, interesting. they're integrated so into AWS, Azure, and even vSphere. So if you have a hybrid cloud at, in your own data center and you just want to you know, put a version of WordPress in these three places, you literally click, 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 and you've got everything done. So they're, based, they're almost like uh, they're building the components but also have some kind of component marketplace where the component is... WordPress is, right. I don't know, one assumes yep. Apache, one assumes, yep. you know, things like that. Right. Yes. And I don't cool. know if they have infrastructure that allows you to upload your own apps into it or if it's just the, the, the you know, several hundred or five or seven hundred that they have in their own platform that are certified on the different clouds. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I'm going to go look at that and see, do they actually have the ability to... Oh, like a know, community. Yeah, yeah, or go grab a contain, you know, a project out of GitHub and then, you know, bundle it up and deliver it that way as well. So sure. I'm not sure where, the, where they stop, right? Mm-hmm. I know they have all the apps. We actually had it on vCloud Air for a while before, before we got out of the vCloud Air business. Mm-hmm. So it's a multi-cloud provisioning and they have mm-hmm. lots of different applications that are one-click deployed. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, gets us in the app. It's all about the app, right? Mm-hmm. It's always been about the app, but we get lost in our own IT administration deal where mm-hmm. we're in network and storage and compute, uh, but the reality is it's all for apps. And so as you move up into the cloud, you're, you tend, you're tending to do more cloud operations management, mm-hmm. and you're pulling services from places. So this is another mm-hmm. piece to that puzzle. Yeah. Yeah, so neat stuff. All right, that's in the news. So Pat announced that. So uh, you can go read about it. There's a lot of a couple different blog articles out there. Uh, and then we'll move on. Uh, I have uh, Pittsburgh VMUG uh, UserCon and Hack- Hackathon is happening next Wednesday and Thursday. Uh, so I want to say the 23rd and 24th. Wednesday and Thursday of next week in Pittsburgh. I will be there. I am going to be uh, doing uh, Raspberry Pi uh, OLED display work. So uh, fun fun to take everybody through that. I've done that a couple times at Denver and Toronto. So I'll be in Pittsburgh. Uh, there is actually a hackathon the night before. So I'm going to bring some code and maybe make... Uh, um, there is a chip you can get that will plug into your USB port on your Mac, and then you can talk I2C protocol through that chip out to, and then there's pins, and you can wire any I2C device. Uh, so I might uh, do some cool I2C device on my Mac as opposed to on a Raspberry Pi. Do a little coding there for fun. Uh, so. I2C on the Mac. Julia, do we have any um, like yeah. a brain yeah. melting sound effects? Because that's <laughs> yeah. just, that sounds awesome. Yeah, yeah. So it's board. actually kind of fun. So you can you run any I2C sensor mm-hmm. and just plug it into your Mac as opposed to do it on a Raspberry Pi. So, wow. uh, looking. Mm-hmm. so maybe I'll play with that a little bit at the hackathon on Wednesday night. And then Thursday's UserCon in Pittsburgh. I will be there. Uh, last but not least, I'll just uh, tap the dates again for VMworld. Uh, global uh, early bird registration was open on 0507, so you can go reg now, get your uh-huh. hotels. Uh, we, we had uh, last week um, the VMworld events team here talking about all the logistics and things that are going to be happening. So pay attention. You can go early uh, reg that now. Uh, and that will affect budgets. So the more er- the more reg we get earlier on mm-hmm. in the process, the more services we get to buy better food, we get to do other things because we have locked budget in. Um, global content calendar opens on 0618. Uh, well, let's see. Early bird registration for Europe on 0726. Uh, schedule builder open on 0616. And schedule builder for Europe, 0924. 
the conference is on 08:29, and Europe is 11:07. So get your calendars going and uh, help us out. Go register. Looking forward to having everybody there. I guarantee you, for your career and uh, just being engaged with all the new technologies and the transition to cloud services, it's worth coming and hanging out and learning some stuff. John, do you have anything you want to? Yeah, I have the uh, Vima calendar. So um, starting with tomorrow, we have a Minneapolis uh, user group meeting at Eden Prairie, uh, the Philly VMUG in Philadelphia also tomorrow, the 16th, um, the Omaha VMUG meeting in Omaha, Nebraska. There is a, oh, if you were planning on going to the Saskatoon VMUG tomorrow, it is canceled. Um, and then let me see, Segundo Suentro, VMUG Argentina, nice. um, VMUG Miami, uh, Miami Beach uh, on the 20th. Uh, and then let me see, the Deutsche VMUG UserCon in Frankfurt uh, on the 22nd. Toledo, Ohio, not Spain, also on the 22nd. And uh, Richmond on the 22nd, Richmond, Virginia. Oh, Wellington, Wellington, New Zealand on the 22nd. All right, so lots of places to go meet people, engage. That's for next week, on the, the May throughout the next week. So uh, get out there and say hello to people, and we'll move on to our main topic now. So Bill, yes, Bill Roth, uh, why don't you give us the two-minute elevator pitch? Uh, I, I know you used to do wavefront marketing. Now you're in cloud marketing and economics. Why don't you tell us a little bit of uh, what you do at VMware, how long have you been here, and uh, how long have you been working in the industry? Sure. Oh, geez. Some big numbers. So uh, at VMware, six years. I've been around a number of products. Started with, uh, you know, my favorite uh, lower tier product, Way, uh, Login Site. Um, got a chance to work on VROPS. And as you know, I was uh, working on evangelizing uh, Wavefront and working on integrating them into the greater whole of VMware for the last two years. But it was got an opportunity to really talk about economics and the economics of cloud from a number of perspectives, and we'll talk about that. I've been doing this probably, dear God, for about 30 years, so uh, I am an old man. So Yeah, it's interesting because uh, I know you well, but I know you from the total geek side of the house, right. but you're also kind of a policy wonk. You know, you're, you, it doesn't That's surprise right. me to see now that I'm thinking it through to see you in a suit with, a, with economics in your title now. Well, first, because of the podcast and my respect for the podcast. I did wear my economist jacket. I've got my Paul Krugman beard. So I wanted to just make sure that we show the appropriate amount of respect because 477 issues uh, or episodes, not a small amount. So, a small. In fact, I think this respect. is the show that we're going to cross over a half million downloads. Wow. So, yeah. Go team. Well, that's kind of neat. Uh, and then uh, we're coming up on the 500th podcast as well. I didn't know which one to make, us, uh, make more noise about, the half a million downloads or... Um, or actually uh, 500. Oh, both of them. 500 podcasts. Go do, but all 500, 500 is a pretty big number. But I am getting John, uh, J lunch with John Troyer, so we're going to talk about it. Yeah, talk yeah. about uh, the 500 go. as well, just for, for fun. Um, so yeah, so you've, you, you've transitioned into cloud right. economics now, and, uh, and, and you've been here for a long time, and yes, we're both getting old, so yes. you know, yay for us. Uh, better than not getting old, I guess. So why don't we talk a little bit about uh, how you're tackling cloud economics. I have lots of things that pop into my head, sure. but uh, we'll, let, we'll let you go first. Yeah. So let's talk about economics kind of generally. And as you mentioned, I do have a policy background. Um, I have done some work both in open source public policy and the regulation around that, as well as 
um, working in the state of California and the state of Pennsylvania on, um, on a couple of policy issues, um, both at the state and, and in some cases the federal level. So not, not entirely different. That's, uh, you know, instead of watching football, I'm usually watching C-SPAN and, um, you know, basically right. reading bill markups uh, on the web just because, you know, I don't know, it seems more exciting yeah. to me than football. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I know. Uh, but uh, but but you do drink beer still, uh, only to excess. Okay, and only right. in parties of one right. or greater. Right. Well, that's right. exactly We're keeping it real. Okay. Indeed. So I mean, the the economics of cloud are what really kind of go at it. And I, I you know, my I have an interesting perspective, which I think is why they brought me into this position. And uh, I think that there's two ways to look at cloud economics. The first is in kind of classical economic sense, right? Adam Smith, Wealth of Nations, 1776. We developed this notion of that humans are rational actors and they optimize their utility function, meaning they always look for the lowest price or where they can get the most value for the least amount of money, that sort of thing. And cloud does have a lot of that. So for example, we know that because Amazon can, for example, um, has huge market power and huge pricing power, they are able then to deliver to us uh, you know, compute storage network at a lower total cost in many ways and also can, you know, develop it wherever we want. Um, but what's interesting is, and that was sort of the standard thing that, 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 you know, human beings are rational. They respond to lower total costs and things like that. But um, there's a great book that came out. And so for uh, listeners of the pod and friends of the pod, take a look at The Undoing Project by Michael Lewis. Yeah. Right. Because it ta- it's a really interesting kind of study. And what it, it talks about, in addition to the personal aspects, which we can also sort of talk about, there was a fundamental revolution in economics in 1979. Now, the paper in uh, Econometrica, for those of you who read um, economic and psychological journals, uh, where two Israeli psychologists came up with this notion and they sort of proved that kind of the basic underpinnings of classical economics had a problem. People, and, and the notion was people have biases. So the classic example is if, I had, if you had a choice between I give you $4,000, you have a 50% chance of getting $4,000 or I give you $1,900 right now. Utility function would say you're going to take that 50% chance at 4,000 because 4,000 times 0.5 is 2,000. But most people pick 1,900 because that's a sure thing. Hmm. So that there are biases and that the utility function is usually more complicated. And so as a result, what they kind of pointed out is that people have blind spots. I would just hit you with a baseball bat and take all 4,000. Uh, that would be, you know, so there is that. Very nonlinear, very nonlinear thinking. <laughs> Kind of breaks the model, right. literally, in addition to, no, but to various your, bones. To your point, people have biases. Correct. Right? To solve this, and it's not necessarily rational. Right. Whether it's right. recency bias, whether it's um, undervaluing, overvaluing my own opinion, undervaluing the value of resources. And right. this is where cloud kind of comes into effect. So the cloud economics comes into effect. There are often blind spots. When looking at cloud, for example, when I decide to move to something like VMware on AWS, yes, I'm log rolling, but VMware on AWS versus, say, cloud native, one of the issues is people tend to underestimate the amount of time it will take to rewrite or refactor an application. And so they may not realize, and there was a recent study by IDC, which will be coming out shortly on one of the websites, which shows that, you know, we interviewed about 500 people. Half of them said that their apps will take at least a million bucks in a year to kind of migrate over. 
So if you're trying to get the cloud, you know, in three or four months and you got an app that takes a year, there's obviously a problem. Right. So understanding these biases, whether it's the way you value time, your own money, uh, right. can have a huge effect on cloud. And that's where behavioral economics, some of you know it is Freakonomics, you know, that sort of thing kind of right. does play. And it's what we try to do and help customers kind of work through and help them see a larger picture. Yeah, there definitely is a larger picture. I mean, I'll pick apart some of this now, right? Sure. And and not 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 too much of your blind spots because I, I get that we all mm-hmm. have our own biases. But one of the things that I struggle with in cloud economics is just uh, when I'm running my own thing. I have machines that I'm running uh, that are basically free. They're still doing the job, mm-hmm. right? Um, they have enough CPU to get the job done. They're locked in. Um, yeah, it's a 2007 server, right? Mm-hmm. Technically, by all rational standards, I should probably rip it out. It's probably mm-hmm. not very reliable, but it keeps running. So I keep running it and I keep doing mm-hmm. the thing, right? And I, I look at cloud now and I look at the cost of cloud. They're much more efficient. They're running new servers. They're swapping their servers mm-hmm. out every th- you know every three years. But when when do I rationalize what's good enough, right? And that those services run it free, right? Other than the power and the the rack space that I do have to pay sure. for, right? It's like almost free, right? Uh, because there's not much admin left there, right? I, it's working. I don't have any extra. And that's what you get into is how much did it cost to move it? Uh, but then what's my amortization schedule look like? And what's my amortization on the cloud look like? And I, I guess I have to understand all these. And you're right, I'm blind. So then I just put my finger up in the air and I go, oh, Maybe not. I'll just leave it. It's right. right. <laughs> and that's what, what we face. I mean, generally, um, I think what you pointed out is when looking at a change, you really have to try and understand the switching costs, both in terms of, my, both in terms of money, labor, and time. And so, for example, you know, you're running uh, something in your home lab. It's been running on an Intel NUC that you've had since 2009. It runs fine. But now you could probably run the whole thing in a free tier on Amazon. Yeah, right, but right. you might have to P to V it. You might have to copy it. And you know, right. who has time for that? So there's an important what, – what we try to do, generally the customers we work with, and I'll explain kind of how people can engage us uh, if you want, and that's that what we try to do is help paint a realistic, a realistic model of how, how and when you move. Right. And so, you know, I thought, I think um, probably some of the listeners are saying, wow, you're a cloud economist. What do you do? A lot of what we do is we build models for people. We literally kind of work with a customer and we say, we try to you know, understand their comparisons and try to, sh- and try to pull out, uh, yes, you can do this, but don't forget about this pit. Don't forget you're going to have to, it's going to take you at least a year to do this extra application. Or don't forget right. you're now going to have network egress charges. And so that your, your economics change or log rolling alert, you're going to save a ton on uh, admin costs because on VMware cloud on AWS, we do all the updates and upgrades for you. Right. So we right. help them understand all so of these things. So you're just things. building models. So you're taking the behavior economics out of it and you're just making it real. Yeah. We still get into a lot of arguments about, you know, no, I don't th- I'm already paying these people, so I shouldn't count them as labor. We still end up with arguments like that, but, you know, that's just part of the back and forth. You have to deal with the logic fallacies, like the sunk cost fallacy, like, oh, I already paid for it, therefore um, I have to chase it, right? Well, in some cases it's true. Our model, uh, and we'll talk about how you can engage us in just a minute, but our model, for example, does include, like, the cost of a rack, the cost of your top of rack switch, the, um, you know, basic network, 
labor for storage, storage, labor for network, network, labor for compute, compute, and the whole range of things to help people kind of understand. But oftentimes the discussions we have is, look, I'm paying those people already, or, but on the other hand, in some cases, I say, look, my rack's not changing. I own that rack. I'm junking these. So we take that out. But generally, the rack and that kind of stuff is actually a small portion of the equation. Yeah, that's why I want to pick your brain up next, because if mm. you've done a couple of these, where does admin time and resources and the savings on the admin side of the house play in? Like, what, how, big of, how big a slice is that versus hardware savings, you know, upgrades? Like, sure. I haven't done it yet, but I'm assuming that, yeah, my time's going to get much more efficient. I'm going to be able to climb up the stack, spend more time sure. on other things. And, you know, you guys are building these models. Have you seen some of this? And what is that? Where's the percentage line? It's really, so I would say it's, it can be anywhere between 10 and 20%. So it doesn't tend to drive um, kind of I would have put it higher, but okay. Well, so our, it's, it's a spreadsheet, so we can change that term. We generally of course, assume. Right. And that our, might be different per customer correct. when you go in and start engaging with them. Yeah. Obviously. So we start out and we use, we use um, BLS, Bureau of Labor Statistics data, and then we normalize by geography and currency. Um, but about $135,000 a year fully loaded for a virtual infrastructure admin. Okay? Whether it, 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 we'll go with a customer. If they want that lower, they want that higher, that's fine. We can adjust that. But that's right. the number we use. Then it's a matter of figuring out how many virtual machines or how many terabytes can an administrator manage. Now, generally what happens is we see uh, anywhere from 2 to 7x improvement in the number of virtual machines that an admin can manage because the whole process of updates and upgrades goes away. Right. As far as VMware Cloud and AWS, we do that for you. So, um, and there's some of that savings if you move to you know, some, of the, some of the other cloud services, but I think for a standard virtual infrastructure admin, they'll understand. We have one customer, uh, University in the Northeast, that was able to retask half of their VI admins to do higher level stack work. Um, because they didn't have to do updates and upgrades anymore. So, um, you know, there's, there's been some pretty, pretty good savings. So generally, that's one thing we adjust. Um, okay. So that's a good answer. Thank yeah. you for that. Uh, sure. I would have, I would have put it at like 50%, but it's you know, 20. That makes sense. And obviously yeah. it's a model. So we're just guesstimating or sure. looking to give everybody a sense of a scale here. Yeah. Uh, how much is in hardware? Do you see savings in hardware? because of the purchasing of cloud environments, right? Uh, have you seen any experience? What's sure. your experience there? When we build models, we build it to either, we, we build it as a hardware refresh versus uh, kind of moving to the cloud. And so we're, the, we're generally more, uh, the VMware Cloud on AWS is generally more cost effective um, because in many cases we're moving to faster hardware and so you need you need uh, yeah, less, less of it. Less of it is a percentage. However, yeah. because Amazon does get those great prices, the cost does help as well. And so that's kind of a that is sort of a crucial thing. And I would say that generally the hardware, or let's just call it the compute portion, the compute, it depends on which side, right? The compute and um, power and facilities can anywhere be from you know forty to fifty percent of the overall cost. Mm. Then you layer storage on top of that. Now, what's, what's at least for our i3 platforms, which um, we have two kinds of platforms, and we can talk about those later. But for our i3 platforms, storage is already included with the i3 platforms, so storage comes with. So the price you pay, whether it's whatever, what, $8.51 per hour on demand or 
$109,000 for a three-year RI. Um, those prices are, by the way, available on the web, open. Um, assumes that, you know, basically this, that's the price you pay, and it's all included in that price. Updates, right. upgrades, compute, storage. I think that's the, the thing that a lot of people miss when they're, when they're looking at comparables for comparable like costs for on-prem versus in the cloud is the cost of labor, Mm-hmm. It's the uh, the cost of maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's the um, they only look at the cost of hardware, mm-hmm. right? And say, well, I could build a rack like that from a white box manufacturer right. at you know one eighth the price or something like that. And you know my my three year cost you're telling me is this, and they're they're missing the cost of um, the colo, for example, right? It's mm-hmm. not like that. That's like a really big cost, right? If you yeah, buying the server it might be not that expensive. Where are you going to put it? Where are you going to get the physical security? Like you mm-hmm. probably don't have the physical security in your office, mm-hmm. right? So you're, are you just accepting that risk? Like, or are you putting it in a tier two colo, right? And if you do that, how much does your rack cost there? How much does your power cost? How much does your, mm-hmm. your network connectivity cost there? And there's just so many things that people ignore when they look at the price of quote unquote cloud. It is. And I would say that, you know, if, if folks are on the podcast and you're interested in engaging us, there's a website that you should start at vmcsizer.vmware.com. And uh, take a look at your virtual infrastructure, type in some numbers, you know, maybe it's just the number of VMs and storage per VM. Get a recommendation. We'll tell you roughly how many nodes you'd need in VM, VMware cloud on AWS. At the bottom of that page, there's a button that says request a TCO. Fill in your email address. And uh, for now, literally an email comes right to me. We're working on automating it this quarter. But I urge uh, folks, if you're interested in this and you want to see what the model looks like, um, go to vmcsizer at uh, uh, vmware.com. I put it in the chat log as well. So it's there. Um, one of the things that uh, I, I'm, I'm asking is uh, we're thinking about is do you, do you guys in your equation equations or template look at uptime reliability uh, business value uh, you know to a cloud versus what you would normally see on prem or is that just too small yet to to build into a model? So this is where my experience as a product manager comes into play, and I'll say it's in a future release. Um, Right now, our focus is really, we want to, and in right. some cases, I think we do. There's another group at VMware, the Business Value Engineering team, that looks at the sort of larger kind of ROI models. We look at kind of total cost. Oh, interesting. Okay. So for now, our focus is on, I have 1,000 VMs that use a petabyte of storage. I need, you know, what's it going to cost me to run that? We look at your utilization. We look at how many CPUs you've got defined and vCPUs and so on. We'll then size it. And, we'll, and the sizing is actually pretty simple. You know, when you look at a workload, it's got three components, memory, CPU, and disk. We just size for the largest number of nodes, the, the, number, the smallest right. number of nodes that will fit the largest of those categories. Pretty simple. And that's the VMC sizer. Um, we'll give that to you. Right. Do you see a lot of this being done around Greenfield? Because I, I can imagine when just when we came out with NSX, right? Like mm-hmm. network 
admins were like, go away, right? We mm-hmm. use Cisco. This was a direct challenge to my livelihood, right? right. Uh, if I start looking at cloud this way, and my job is to manage servers and rack and stack and cable, and mm-hmm. you know, I have a data center that I work at, um, there might be IT practitioners who are like, yeah, I like my data center. I like having racks. And so then you almost have to go sell, you know, the value prop to Correct. management or leadership, right? Uh, how much uh, how much do you feel like um, this process goes against an IT practitioner's role or do they embrace it? Do you tend to work above that? Uh, what's, what's kind of the atmosphere when it comes to this kind of modeling? The interesting thing what we see from customers is a lot of people are moving to cloud and I think it breaks into kind of two categories. First category is those people who they see there's a value to them, whether it's they don't want to pay their leasing costs anymore, they want to get out of the data center business, that it's fairly obvious to them. Right. And then so they've already made that. They're, already, they're, they're going down that road. So this just helps them figure out their cost model when they're going down that road. Right. right. Um, actually, so off. you're taking the decision out of, Correct. of moving to cloud. Well, right. yeah. And actually, I'm going to say there are three in a, in a classic uh, trifurcation uh, model. I think the second category are those who CEO has said, you know, get me some cloud. I want you to be in the cloud. Don't know what it means. I want you to be there. You did. Seriously. And we've had a couple of cases where, look, I've got to be in the cloud by December. What can you do for me? Well, you're on VMware, so copy-paste over to VMC. Not that hard. Um, that's kind of the second category. The third category is people who are literally legitimately trying to figure out. And in that category, I think there's even a breakdown. There's those people who are greenfield, but there's also those people who's like, you know, maybe I do want to rewrite my application. Maybe Lambda is a really cool thing for me. Maybe, and those are, those are people we try to have discussions. In some cases, we have hybrid. Sometimes they're going to move some VMC. Sometimes they're going to. Sometimes they'll rewrite, and that's legitimate as well. Uh, let me stop and say one thing: is that actually we have a really. I'm actually pretty impressed with the relationship with Amazon. Um, I think it's pretty open. I work with a team of cloud economists at Amazon, and um, uh, some good folks. And, I, and basically, the model that we uh, produce for people is actually jointly developed. Hmm. So um, we're actually coming up um, and developing kind of our next generation model. Um, and um, that's uh, it's been a really good. So I mean, we're we're here and we're interested in. Yeah, sure, we'd like to sell as much as we can, but we want to do the right thing for the customer. So we work right. with Amazon. If the customers yeah. decided they're doing Amazon, and th- th- then you know that's the way we'll move. I logically tend to go to these higher level value props, right? Which is how much would it cost my engineering teams to make APIs available? Correct. Where when you go to AWS and they have that stuff and it's Correct. easily integrated your application, uh, that that right. becomes a t- an intangible, you know, mm-hmm. a tangible value proposition that that layers into this. It shortens your time to market, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, how, yeah. yeah it, I would be interested in understanding like how customers are reacting to soft costs like that. It's sometimes it's different from customer to customer. If you say, I'm going to shorten your time to market, you know, that by six months to somebody that might be worth $40 million and to somebody else that might be worth $40,000. Or, or zero. Right, or zero. Um, and then there's things like, you know, flexibility of infrastructure, right? Mm-hmm. In, in something like VMware Cloud on AWS, adding another host can take 15 minutes as opposed to, you know, needing to keep another host in stock every quarter. Correct you know, if you're on-prem and, and what that, the, you know, how you calculate that cost, right? Mm-hmm. So I think you've got it exactly right. And that's the sort of, the challenge we face is, and I hate the phrase soft cost, but in fact, there's sort of, when someone says soft cost, I know I'm in for a tough argument because that means, oh, 
labor is a soft cost. Well, tell that to the guy who's getting the paycheck. Right. That's a pretty hard cost for him. Um, and so that becomes a bit of a harder discussion. But generally, when we hit a model, when we when we deal with a model, there's sort of like, again, I'll do my, my trifurcation. Okay, three kind of instances. One, we're working with a champion. And so we've done things where like, we'll, I've even literally built slides for a customer so he can help sell his manager. Second bit is, uh, they're not. They're in this area where I'm really trying to sort of figure out the cost. The third is where we get into kind of discussions with customers because they have their own model. But in some cases, that's actually a really good discussion because they may be underestimating the efficiencies that VMware can bring. So those are that's that's basically those are those are the arguments that I have every day. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. I got a question on chat, which is, and it's back to your vmcsizer.vmware.com app, yeah. right? That we encourage everybody to go to, play around with it, give Bill some feedback because it goes directly to him. The question is, if Sizer computes for the smallest number of nodes for the largest amount of workload, is there an option to adjust the number of nodes for a customer's preference on node redundancy? Sure. I mean, generally, the way that, here's how that let's let's talk about the whole process. So let's say you've got a workload. You've got 1,000 VMs, 200 gig storage each. It's going to give you exactly what you need. Now, there's two fields for utilization. I got it. So, and I'll try not to lose the thread here, but one of the key findings was that um, people are way underutilized. It is surprising to me. After all these years VMware has been selling, you know, we can save you money. You don't have to buy as much hardware. People are still at 20 to 30% utilization. Some people... It's because they're holding for peak. Other people, because they oversized, they, they overestimated their You don't get fired for oversizing. Correct. <laughs> well, that, may be, that may be it. So there's two ways the, in, in response to the commenter's question. is I think we're going to give you a number that you can then, our prices are online, you can figure out what you need. If you can either adjust your utilization numbers so that it'll expand, or just take that number you get out of it and you know add 20% more nodes. So there's definitely there's definitely a way to do that. I would I would urge you to look at um, on the VMC sizer. It's there are some defaults, but some of the but some of the the inputs where there are defaults are actually pretty important. One is memory overcommit. Now, if you talk to my friends in the vSphere technical marketing group, they say never do overcommit. Sometimes it makes sense for some people. Um, storage dedupe, right? We have a default of two. Maybe you don't want storage dedupe. So you set that to one. That actually will double your need for storage. So that will, depending on where you hit, may increase the number of nodes you get. Because for an i3, you only get uh, 10 terabytes of SSD um, per node. So, okay. you know, so, so yes, if you have questions, um, there's also on because I already set it up because I'm already I'm a huge I'm a member of Code and the Code family. There is a VMC-Econ uh, Slack channel on the uh, Code Slack channel. So again, From, uh, join Code Code.vmware.com. Join Code yeah. exactly. Join, and we'll send you a Slack invite, private Slack channel with 5,000 people in it, and you've set up your own channel. Exactly, we have a channel. Economics. Exactly. Code.vmware.com. Don't forget log rolling for the home team. Right. <laughs> is nice. there is there a chance that people are maybe um, locked into their on-prem thinking when they talk about redundancy of the number of nodes that they actually need, right? Because my understanding is one of the advantages of 
VMware Cloud and AWS is when you hit a, a host failure or node failure, we're able to you know quickly attach another node. So you're not paying for you know capacity that you're not utilizing. You know now if somebody's talking about like well I need RAID six everywhere, so I want to you know increase the node count to right. account for you know uh, RAID levels right. or something like that. I, I would understand that, but I, it almost doesn't make sense to go to like a cloud platform and then have a bunch of like idle hosts. Well, right? here's the deal, and this is where it goes back to my friends uh, Amos Tversky and Danny Kahneman, the two Israeli psychologists. Um, I've got, we're working with one customer right now, and they are deathly afraid of not having enough resources mm. at peak. Mm-hmm. And so we sell in kind of three buckets. You can get on-demand, you can get a one-year reserved instance, you can get a three-year reserved instance. And so but they are just so paranoid about not having for peak, they're going to buy and literally have some of those because they don't want to have to wait 12 minutes for a new instance. They want the instance to be there. Um, but that's just because that's what they believe to be their environment. They are in a pretty, they have some very high SLA guarantees. Um, well, 12 minutes might, the cost of 12 minutes might be different for different uh, organizations, right? That's exactly the case for this. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, like that 12 minutes might be $40 million again, right? Exactly. So, yeah. so, and I, so I think it's, it really goes to the psychology of the people who are doing the sizing. But to the customers or to the uh, commenter's point, you know, it depends on redundancy for what. Um, you know, is it redundancy for storage? Well, let's talk about um, DR. Let's talk about disaster recovery. Is it, um, you know, is, right? Is it, do I need extra CPU? Do I need extra, is it, is it storage? Well, with enough nodes, you're already at RAID 6. So is that what you're looking for? So I think there's a deeper question there. Mm-hmm. Right. So getting back to the three categories of people, you know, we, we talked about guys that have just already, mm-hmm. or people, women or guys, I say guys generically. Gender uh, neutral, of Yeah, course. general neutral. Um, you've just decided you're going to move to cloud because you want to get out of the data center business or you want to yeah. expand capacity, mm-hmm. physical infrastructure, right? And it, it's driving physical mm-hmm. infrastructure. There was this third category that was, huh, we've just decided we want to get to cloud. Right. Um, yeah. And we're doing. What was the, the the second one? There was a second category as well. There was definitely another one. And I, and I don't think it's so modern apps. What is it? it so there's. Wasn't modern I mean, apps. in some cases, it's. So there's the people who were doing cloud. Right. There's the people who they just know they're going to do VMC, and so we're just you know that's right. an easy case. But the middle range is they still need to be convinced, and they still literally need to sort of. And in many cases, our job right. is to help them is to frame the discussion. And one of the things that I tell folks internally is our job is to essentially either create the Overton window or to expand the Overton window. Now, for those of you who may not be, uh, John smiling, as you may not be as familiar with um, the concept of the Overton window. The concept is the Overton window is largely the kind of framing of a debate. And so one of, the, one of the things that you do during a debate is you may want to it, it basically attempt to broaden the field that you're arguing with. So you broaden that Overton window. I'm, it's not quite what the Overton window is, but that's how I'm using it today. Um, definitely Google it. Um, it's great, great Wikipedia entry. But so the so point I bring this up is we're broadening the Overton window to help them understand and frame how they view it. I think there's a, customers are smart. Customers understand you know, kind of Amazon, Google, Azure, and all the rest. Our focus is to help them sort of solve their business problem, understand what's motivating them, 
and then you know help frame. Oftentimes that middle category doesn't necessarily have a framing. Should I buy more hardware? Should I go to the cloud? What's the difference? And then, then there's a context that applies to that that is always important. If I'm a bank and I have regulatory requirements, that's fine. If I'm a construction company, totally different set of requirements. It's interesting. Like, people don't, uh, a lot of times, don't take into account what their value to the company is, mm -hmm. what their organizational value to the company is. So like an IT department, you know, the, the probably the CIO and the CEO when they have discussions aren't talking about, like, we have the best dressed cables in the industry Correct. in our data centers, mm -hmm. right? So if that is your value to the organization, then maybe you should be thinking about getting a different value to the organization. Right. Right. Now, um, is it like, well, we rack and stack better than everybody else in the industry? Probably not that either. Right. Right? Is it excellence in virtual machine administration? It might not be that either, right? Is it at scale? Is it delivering the application? Now you're getting closer to what Correct. the actual business value is. So, you know, if you go to a department and say, well, do you guys want to spend a lot more time like cabling up hardware or, mm -hmm. or managing vSphere? Well, do you want to spend more time managing vSphere or being specialists in the application of the value that's being delivered to the organization? I mean, that's those types of conversations I think that people are missing. Mm -hmm. and, I, and it's important. And what we try to do is help is kind of pull those out um, to educe them, uh, the root word for Latin root for education, to basically pull out those things because oftentimes they're not uh, often thinking about those. And so that's, that's sort of key to the discussion. And then we work on a model. We don't always come to an agreement with the model, um, but I think it helps with the discussion. Up-leveling a little bit more. Bill, I yes. have just a straightforward question to you. Is it more economical to go to cloud? Like a good economist, I'm going to say on the one hand, it most of the time is... Um, because you're often moving from older hardware to newer hardware because you're often, maybe you've got some inefficiencies creeping in the system. Uh, on the other hand, context, so yes, but context matters. Yeah. No, I, I, I use the one hand in the two hands. Yeah, let's, let's take away the application costs and, and all those blindside issues, right? Sure. Just from a pure hardware and installing operating system, that kind of thing, just the hard numbers. What's the savings? See, on the one hand, <laughs> you can get this, on the one hand, you can generally get, uh, you know, cloud is more efficient. However, if you've got a really good deal on UCSB 200 M5s from Cisco and you're getting 65% off, maybe mm. not. Right. And you're based next to a giant waterfall, so your cost per kilowatt hour is next to zero. Right. Maybe not. And, you know, I, I use that one hand and the other hand so that I basically can make my other historical reference, which is uh, Harry Truman once said as he founded the National, the, the, um, the uh, National Economic Council. He said, I'm tired of all these economics on the one hand. On the other hand, somebody bring me a one-armed economist. <laughs> so I guess I should know better than that. Um, yeah. So uh, sadly, there, there I still have both be, arms. Depending on your cost of hardware and your cost of power and your cost of space, yeah. there can be significant savings, right? Generally, on the other hand, in, there, there could not be depending on what you got going. Yeah. Right. Now, location tends to be super important. As you know, we're in almost every meaningful location um, and almost every meaningful uh, Amazon data center. Um, a couple more coming online towards the end of the year. Right. Um, but Sydney, Frankfurt, London, Ohio, 
Northern Virginia, Northern California, you know, there's uh, right. all over the world. Uh, and sometimes locality is important, especially if you've got data governance issues. Right. Uh, you know, EU privacy, EU Privacy Directive 88, in some cases, is being implemented in the EU in really interesting ways. Germany is obviously the, the, the tightest restricted. Maybe right. uh, Switzerland is probably the tightest. But this, but, this, so that becomes important. And I'm going to stop you now because I have yeah. another question that, sure. that, that is interesting for me. And I'll just use my own case of when I abandoned my own SendMail, right? Like uh, I ran SendMail on my Unix servers sure. and I had my own domains and I would run my own stuff. And I like having SendMail because I can go in and run it myself. I yeah. don't have to pay anybody. I don't have to worry about other services. Yeah. It's just running. Uh, but what I eventually had to do because of, because of all the spam, yeah. because of filters, sure. because of all the work that you had to do to stay compliant, you're sending mail out because if you got too much spam, right. they, would, they would start blocking you, right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, people couldn't send me mail anymore. Right. right? Um, so a uh, complimentary workload that comes with just keeping things running and paying attention to the law sooner or later just gets easier just to hire, you know, LegalZoom and go away, right? Mm -hmm. Just like let them do it because I can't keep track of all the things that I need to be doing to keep this SendMail server running. I'm using different acronyms and different Yeah, yeah, yeah no, 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 but, I get it. But, but that's, that's uh, what, what's also play here is just, you know, how much time does anybody have to keep track of the burden that comes with running some of this complicated software now? Right? I, I think you're actually making a really good point. And because as I look at my own history, I, I basically got into a hoster in 1994. It was a year right. before my daughter was born, and she's now a geneticist at, Gen at Genentech. So Congrats. that tells you how long. Yeah. It is, yes. So Emma, if you're listening, uh, you know, shout out proud. to Emma. Yep. Shout out to Emma. Um, so, right, I got this Lunar Pages that I've been paying $99 a year, but I could probably just as easily pay as you go on Amazon, and it might be less cost. However, my switching cost is I got 20 years, 24 years worth of stuff there. 28 years, 20, 25 years worth of stuff there. So again, switching costs comes into play. But in some cases, moving to a Google or moving to an Amazon, you know, may make a ton of sense. Right. Yeah, there's, there's so, something like that. And then the last thing I want to hit, because we have like 13 more minutes, and it's a good topic, uh, which I got I to gotta go do a shout out to John White, where John has been introducing this concept. Uh, he submitted a paper. We're going to maybe select it for code. Uh, the production around products. So... Uh, mm -hmm. Data center environments around products versus data center environment around uh, corporate IT, right? Where it's not product focused, right? And there seems to be different rules of the road when it comes to if you're Netflix and you're streaming video, right? The the importance of keeping that service up because you're part of a revenue stream mm -hmm. uh, versus being part of corporate IT where you're more of a cost center. And so the uh, SLAs start to waver between IT-driven compute resources versus product-driven compute resources. And does that play into the mix? Or I assume that must play into the mix, but maybe uh, Amazon is seen as bigger, better, more reliable, so I'll do my product service mm -hmm. there. Uh, I'm wondering if anybody has uh, talked to you about that type of stuff. So I think we tend to frame it differently, but I think it's topologically equivalent to the same kind of thing. The way we look at it as is sort of business critical apps uh, and sort of business apps. There's some great work being done by Andrew Nielsen uh, in the VMC and AWS group. I'm basically looking at, you know, what's the best way to move specific workloads? He's got some great work coming out, and uh, we'll make sure that uh, folks see this link. But for example, 
the white paper out that says under certain conditions, uh, you can save 20% by moving your Oracle rack to VMC and AWS. So I think that it depends. And I think that, again, that I think you look at your workloads, whether they're IT, or whether they're business critical, uh, you know, they, they, you should definitely um, kind of do an analysis. There is a difference. There was a report, I want to say it was from my friends at the 451 group, but there are dramatic differences in terms of availability from the superscalers, from, from Amazon, right. Google, and Azure. And so, you know, the, you need to pay attention uh, to those sorts of things. Um, so it's, you can't just assume that it's just always going to be up. Look, it's hardware. You know, electrons go astray sometimes. Right. So, and, and I get into innovation and how does having cloud, deploying in cloud versus mm. deploying in your own data center, having your own team, how does that in, affect innovation? Right? Correct. And is innovation a higher rank thing when it comes to business critical apps or in right. product apps, right? Versus uh, innovation in, you know, your mail server, calendar server, the sure. infrastructure that's running your business. Right? Sure. Um, Having worked at a big e-commerce firm, for example, you know, we knew what an outage was because we were taking orders from about 80 different websites. And John, and I know this is your topic, so I'll, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. we need to jump in here. Sure, sure. Please, why don't you enlighten us? Tell well, us, tell, what's your opinion, John? No, no, so this is, um, it's, it's really interesting, and I'll throw it back as a question, uh, you know, just to clarify. You know, so I have customers, right, like as, a, as an SE, and some of their infrastructure is for the corporate IT, right? They're, you know, their accounting apps, et cetera, et cetera. And then some of their, their technology spend is really about developing their products. It's writing code for you know their product. It's it's hosting the product as a service. It's you know a medical device manufacturer writing code and saying maybe we want to deliver that code onto you know uh, hardware as a service. You know so there's things like that. That type of infrastructure is they don't look at that as a cost. They look at it more as like you know, the, the model becomes less about total cost of ownership. It becomes more about, like, return on invested capital, mm-hmm. right? So it's a, it's a different way of thinking about it. It's I'm going to put this much money in, and I'm expecting at the end of the process to get, you know, some multiple of that money mm-hmm. back out. Um, and that's how I'm spending money on this infrastructure, not, oh, I'm trying to get the maximum amount out of the minimum spend, mm-hmm. and how do I keep my costs? down while maintaining service levels, uh-huh. right? So I, I just wonder if those people, you know, go to public cloud a little bit more just because, again, you know, faster time to market, uh-huh. you know, and cutting down some of those things. They have their own economic models, I assume. Every development department or GM, maybe even at VMware, has some kind of financial model for if I can get my product out the door a year faster, like this is what the economic value is to me. Mm-hmm. And as a result, I don't mind spending more money, you know, even if the cost is higher, you know, in public cloud, uh, just because that time to market is so valuable. Sure. There's, there is a value for first mover advantage. Mm-hmm. And so the key thing that, you, that people need to do is have a clear-eyed view of where you are and what you're really doing. And that's where it comes into because you're either going to – I get into a situation where I either get to frame the discussion and help a customer think about this because they may have no idea or I'm existing within the framing that they've already got. And that's where you have to sort of proceed. And there are some things where, for example, uh, they've already got enough NSX licenses. So we zero that out when we look at the model. And, you know, there's, there's, there's a bunch of different things. So it's important to kind of 
have a meta analysis when the, the you know, uh, your listeners out there, when you begin to think about moving to the cloud, have the meta analysis of understanding uh, why you're looking at this and how you're looking at it. And if you're truly kind of, what is truly important? Is there a value to innovation and is there a value to time to market? Is there a value to improving your cycle time so that you can take a million orders a second instead of half a million? That sort of deal. Right. What if our growth rate doubles? What if our growth rate becomes exponential instead of linear? Do we have the ability to scale our Correct. on-prem data center? Like, you know, that's, um, do we actually have like at scale data center expertise and how long would it take to develop that if we don't, right. you know, just in case? What I'm impressed with, and this sort of um, kind of harkens back to some of the Wavefront experience, is that I think we're becoming better as an industry and as a practice at understanding systems of scale. The whole site reliability engineering concept is actually a really good one. In fact, I, again, you know, on uh, Bill's book reviews, highly recommended, highly recommend the site reliability engineering book from Google because it will help you frame and understand the mindset for what it takes to, to run systems at scale and the kinds of things you need to do. And if you frame it that way, then that's going to answer a couple of questions down the, the line. The SRE handbook? SRE handbook, yeah. Okay. This one, I think O'Reilly has a printed version, but it's free, so you, mm -hmm. can, you can download it. I think it may be on Google Books for free. Right. Nice. When we talk multi-cloud, uh, and you know, there, are other, there are multiple cloud vendors that uh, mm -hmm. you get into economics, is there a bidding situation? Does Amazon or any of these guys actually bid for business? Like, can you put out a, a POC and say, hey, we're thinking about moving this amount of workload over into Amazon? I mean, we don't do that at, at our small, sure. small scale with a credit card. But I'm wondering when, when you're you know, building economic models like this, whether there's actual flexibility in competition across cloud vendors, so, Amazon and Azure and others? I love this question because I keep waiting for, I want ultimate, ultimate cloud arbitrage. Ultimately, computer cycles are going to be kind of a commodity. And again, I'll, uh, another book review, read Accelerando by Charles Strauss, where basically the whole world gets turned itself into sort of computing material. Uh, but um, these, these sorts of things... Um, uh, you know, actually become, uh, you know, actually become kind of uh, super important. It's interesting because I definitely see the cloud providers, the mega clouds, trying to produce um, differentiating factors, right? Like machine learning, you know, you know, different types of, you know, services like, oh, it's so much easier to run TensorFlow on our infrastructure yeah, yeah. or whatever, you know, the, their, their sales pitch is, right? Um, you know, hey, we developed this, so that we're that much better than everybody else. We're yeah. six months ahead, nine months ahead of everybody. And, and I, because I, I think that they're immediately understanding, like, a generic x86 virtual machine yeah. is going to become a commodity. It, it will be, and I think we're five years away mm -hmm. from this dream that I have of computronium, of essentially <laughs> arbitrage, of where I literally can place my work with the, with the notion of vMotion and the ability to get pricing in real time because Amazon has a pricing API. I'm sure the others do too. Uh, let's find out where my workload's going to run today. And if I'm running a trading application that only needs to be up from 9 to 4 every day when the markets are open, you know, let's look for the, let's look for the best, um, right. right. Let's look, it, let's it, look for my nightly it, workload. Where it's one, of VM, one of many VMware value props is to get there, right. To where yeah. you can actually, you know, uh, not be locked into a single vendors, you know, cloud offering that you can actually arbitrage it 
you know, maybe yeah. it's on a yearly basis. It's not micro arbitrage, but sure. it's uh, at the point where you can actually do this. Yeah, if and when we get to VMware everywhere, um, which of course the world needs and the world wants, um, you know, this will this will be possible. But again, I have no inside knowledge. That's not my particular business. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Let the record reflect. Yeah, let the re record reflect. Well, Bill, uh, Bill Roth, uh, we're at 12.57, so we have three minutes. Uh, what's your next year look like? Uh, are you going to be at VMworld? Do you get to, do you know if you got to, we don't, probably don't know if you get a paper or not, but uh, I assume you'll be there doing some kind of event. Sure. I submitted a paper with my esteemed colleague, Aaron O'Quinn, uh, where we're going to look at some customer cases, but also would like to, um, you know, kind of do an Ask a Cloud Economist. And we'll, you know, we're proposing a program where we basically give, you know, do TCO modeling and consultation on the floor. So that's kind of a neat genius bar type type of activity for so sure. Haven't found a place for it, so you know, save some room in code, <laughs> yeah, and yeah, I'll do some yeah. Raspberry Pi work for you on the back end. Right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. We definitely want you around. That's 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 good. Um, last and final, how do they follow you? So there's, I actually, uh, I am. Uh, Bill Roth, at Bill Roth VMware. Um, we have kind of a broader thing at VMware Cloud Econ. Uh, at VMware Cloud Econ, you're going to see a lot of stuff like, I tend to pay attention to stuff like uh, CPI index changes um, and other things. So you'll see a bunch of macroeconomic stuff there just because it's fun. And I want to do a shout out to your blog. There's a great blog article that you wrote. Uh, it's on cloud.vmware.com. It's on the, uh, the community site there. So go to cloud.vmware.com community. And then there's a blog that is the titled Behaviors, Biases, and Understanding Cloud Economics. I will put a link to it in the chat window. So a uh, really good blog article. Learn a little bit about uh, all the risks that we face uh, when we're trying to you know, figure out economics around moving to the cloud. Yep. So, uh, great, great article there. Thank you. Um, okay, so that's that. We're at the top of the hour. Uh, Tony Foster, any any barbecue report? I made uh, some good barbecue chicken this uh, this weekend. It was very nice. Traditional, just used a, a standard sauce on the old uh, Kingsford with charcoal. So it's always wow. a favorite of the in the wife. We must have been in sync because I did the exact same thing. Right. Well, it is hitting summertime, and sometimes you just have to go back to the standard, you know, the, 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 good, the good standards, right, which is chicken with barbecue sauce. When you, when you cook yours, do you, uh, do you boil it first, put it on, or you just put it on the grill for the whole hour? I, I just put it on the grill for the whole hour, and mine actually wasn't uh, in barbecue sauce. I actually marinated mine in Italian dressing. So Nice. Okay, I had works, a really good flavor. I did uh, innovation. People. I do. I do mine. Put a chicken on the uh, with Kingsfield coals. Let it go for every eight minutes, and then just flip it. Put the lid on. You have to have the lid on, and uh, only a little bit of uh, air flow through. But then just uh, let it go. Flip it every yeah. ten minutes, and then the last ten minutes you put sauce on continuously and rotate them. Mm. The sauce will caramelize, uh, but you, it'll burn easy. So you got to be rotating yeah. the whole the last 10 minutes and you get a nice caramelized glaze with, you know, and then the very last, you just wet it up and then put it in a bowl and you're good to go. I'm so so right it was now. very good. I, I could just like add five pounds just eating. eating uh, <laughs> I, I'm still chicken. marveling yeah. over Italian dressing. Uh, there uh, you that's, go. That's innovation. You got to patent that. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> All right. Well, that's it for today. I know we're back on with another guest next week. So thanks for everybody coming, saying hello, and uh, chatting with us. And uh, uh, everybody have a great week. Make some barbecue. Uh, it's going to be raining in California, so bring out your umbrellas if you live in California. Thanks a lot, everybody, on Facebook. Uh, we'll see you again next week. Till then, have a great week.